all got a purpose in their life. Why we on this earth? Find your dedicated life. Don't listen to these haters and backstabbing neighbors. Fake friends and family with snakeskin layers. Take that vision that's up on your board and put it in your prayers. Get yourself up out the bleachers in the game and be a player. Take Them people want you to chill. Don't sleep behind the wheel. The devil trying to make a deal. Don't sleep behind the wheel. Them people want you to chill. Don't sleep behind the wheel. The devil trying to make a deal. Don't sleep behind the wheel. If you really want to win, my friend, then keep trucking. This is not a game. The name is keep trucking. If you really want to win, my friend, then keep trucking. Tell them this is not a game. The name Moving pounds and kilos, transactions with three zeros and up. Just for moving product in the truck. No prints, no touch freight. From down south to upstate, a call and the right paperwork will open up gates. BOD, BOL, with no CDL. Under 10,000 pounds, I don't need a scale. It's now, the time is here. Round up the soldiers and lend me your ear. Pick your head up, stick your chest out. Be strong, listen closely, cause men can't always be wrong. Steve O, JB, B Hudson and T Swin. Gonna get your mind right, let's dive in the deep end. And attack the issues and problems that hound us today. Yeah, we got in the field, but we ain't coming to play. We all shepherds trying to keep the flock from going astray. If you wanna be the change, then let's be it today. Not as always obstacles that's gonna get in your way, but it's important how you handle it. Maneuver and pray. We keep you up to date. We're current and fast. We all know that the structure been broken, so let's make the repairs. There's a culture trying to cancel us and give you a spin, but you can come and get the truth from this panel of men. We on ten, going in. Let the speech be free. We about to knock down the doors. You can keep the key. God first, then man. So let's execute the plan and deliver the message so the people can understand. Like. The time is now, the time is here. Round up the soldiers and lend me your ear. Pick your head up, stick your chest out. Be strong, listen closely, cause men can't always be wrong. The time is now, the time is here. Round up the soldiers and lend me your ear. Pick your head up, stick your chest out. Be strong, listen closely, cause men can't always be wrong. Men can't always be. Men can't always be. Men can't always be. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Men Can't Always Be Wrong podcast brought to you by CTR Media Network. I am one of your hosts. I am T. Swin. God love me so much. He made me a twin. We got a good show for y'all tonight. We got a special guest on talking about a very serious subject in, uh, in, in the country and our community. So I'm going to let one of our other hosts come on in and let's get this, this show cracking and started. Yes, indeed. I am Hufferman Cop. Uh, my name is Stephon Fluid. For those of you who may not know, uh, I'm a servant of God and definitely a servant of the people, an author, an entrepreneur. And my whole purpose in life is to serve communities and to make communities better than what it was. And so I'm looking forward to today's uh, tonight's topic with our guest. Let me give it to Joe. This is your boy, Jay Bean, again. This is your average Joe, giving an honest opinion. 
Like they said, we have a special guest today. I'm going to go ahead and introduce her to, to the audience. She's an internationally recognized leader of education, executive coach, CEO of Consult Dr. Michelle, professor and keynote speaker. I'd like to welcome Dr. Michelle Finney. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Coming on the show. All right. Why don't you uh, introduce yourself to the crowd and, and our, our viewers that may not know who you are and what you do and what you're about. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So I'm a retired school administrator and I have completed about 30 years in education. I come from a long line of educators. So I have a, a pure affinity for just the craft of education. Uh, I've been blessed to be in many, many roles in the education community. I've been a teaching assistant. I've been a teacher. I've been a coach of basketball and track, a, an assistant principal, principal, district coach. And now I coach principals and teach those who want to be principals and teachers at the college level. So um, it's very dear to me. I know what a game changer education can be, and I can't wait to um, unpack the different topics that you want to delve into this evening. Thank you. Um, well, let's get right to it. Um, I have a lot of teachers in my family also. And um, one thing they talk about is uh, schools being understaffed. Is that, a, is that an issue that you see a lot? Very much so. And I actually just did a little research um, this evening and just looking at what we started with. So just in Houston, and I'm not even going to other districts in Texas that I worked with, but just in the city of Houston, the school started with 2,100 vacancies. And so you had students who started school without a regular classroom teacher. You may have had some hires come on later. We've lost some people through attrition. And so that's constantly, constantly an issue. You um, were having our teacher preparation programs, not producing the number of folks who are going into education. And so nationwide, that's a huge, huge issue is schools being understaffed. And what's interesting, Tony, is it Tony or T-Swim? <laughs> it's either. You can call me T-Swim oh. or Tony. Swim. So one of the another issue that I don't um, know if people are very cognizant of is that not only is it the classroom teacher, it's the support staff, it's the teaching assistant, it's the the custodial staff, it's the cafeteria, it's the nurses, and it's also leadership. Leadership is a huge issue. I have actually been called in. And since I retired in 2018, I have filled in at least 10 times for campuses that did not have a leader. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I hear that a lot. Um, I the daughter who played, you know, she played sports and she's telling me that there was no nurse at the school. And I remember coming up, we always had a nurse. We always had these, these people in these positions. And um, one thing I'm also seeing with the understaff um, is, is, is due to pay, you know? Um, uh, like my kids, my children live in Mississippi and okay. a lot of teachers are leaving those schools and going to other schools that pay more. So that's why that, that's another reason why they're being understaffed. But it's leaving it. It's, 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 you know, it's hurting the kids. You know, they're leaving. These many teachers are really, really good, but they got to they got to pay their bills. 
So they're going to better paying opportunities outside of the city, maybe even going to the next state. Yes. And and there are some schools who provide that incentive. And so teachers are looking at, you know, what their their bills and they're ha yeah. having to make a choice based on their personal circumstances rather than, you know, the loyalty that they may feel to a particular community because their first priority is their family. And so, so much needs to be done to just really take a look at what is it going to take? What is it going to take from a monetary standpoint to keep a teacher in what we call an underserved area? One of my experiences uh, prior to leaving public schools is I worked from, I'll, I'll, if anyone, if, in Houston, there is an area called the third ward area for your viewers who are um, more international or, or, or nationwide. And so there's a, a, a stint of property between two freeways, very underserved, very yeah. um, lots and lots of high crime rate and, and impoverished uh, food deserts, these areas. And so what can we do to incentivize teachers choosing these areas to serve the students who have some of the most severe needs? Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I remember I had to go to uh, CLC in Third Ward for night school. And if anybody's in the Houston area, they're familiar with that. Yeah. The rumor about CLC is that it was a very dangerous school to go to in a very dangerous part of town. The teachers were great. The school was good. It just had this it just had this like stigma over it or, you know, mm -hmm. this negativity tied to it. But it was really great school, great teachers. So when mm -hmm. I went there, what I was told was totally, totally opposite from what it was. And it was it was a. a it's a nice place. Good. Yeah. So let's see what you got. What you yeah, got, Steve-O? Was uh, about the uh, the curriculum. Do you feel that the curriculum that that the current education system has is outdated as a whole, or is it up to date? Or and so, um, and just in full transparency, when you take a look at what um, the different thought leaders are sharing as far as jobs, and you take a look at our graduating classes from college, many of the students who are in college now will have jobs that have not been invented. Um, there's a lot of research out regarding those who are currently tasked with educating students. And one of the issues that continues to come up is that you have current teachers who are preparing students for a future that neither have seen. And so it's going to take a lot more collaboration between industry, between mm -hmm. uh, those in, in STEAM fields, you know, the science, technology, engineering, arts and math, to really do some deep level collaboration to really meet the needs of students. One of the things that I do as a consultant is work with principals. And we talk about how burned out teachers are, administrators are, we're losing just really quality folks because of just students not being on task or discipline. Well, some of that is engagement. And you have students who are digital natives, yeah. students who they love technology. Yeah. And they had a couple of years where they learned via technology. And then you have teachers who are not as um, skilled in using the technology. So mm -hmm. the curriculum 
from a perfunctory standpoint, you, you need to know how to read. You need to know how to do computation. You need those basic foundational pieces so that you can begin to acquire knowledge. However, to truly become a, a person that can take care of their family upon completing college, you need someone to be the bridge on how to take the, that skill set that the curriculum provides for us as far as you know comprehension, vocabulary, spelling, grammar, and embed those other problem-solving pieces. Um, the students who are graduating from college now are going to be the problem solvers that take care of the, the world to come for the subsequent generations, if that makes sense. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, I always, like, when we were coming up in school, I always felt that school wasn't teaching us anything that prepared us for the world during, when we when we came up. I, I, I lived in the southeast side of Houston. So when I graduated, I, I didn't feel like I was prepared for anything. I didn't feel I learned any skills that, that could help me. In the, so I joined the military automatically. I said, let me go somewhere. I'm going to have a roof over my head, money and medical and dental, you know. Um, <clears throat> do you see any change in that, you know, in, in, in schools, especially public schools? Are they adding curriculum that's going to that's gonna help kids have be able to do something once they get out? Just from my experience, I, I do believe that schools are beginning to respond to that that um, complaint, industry has continued to save. The, the students who have been graduating are coming in not uh, prepared for industry, not being problem solvers. Mm -hmm. And so I do see a shift happening. I work with another school district and I won't say the names of the school districts because I want to be, um, you know, respect the confidentiality of those contracts. Mm -hmm. And so one of the pushes is to have global learners where they actually do some authentic experiences. And I have to say, I was so impressed with a theater arts teacher. And I typically, when I was in school, theater arts was learning monologues. It was speech and debate. When my daughter was in school, it was speech and debate. It was those types of things, even uh, lip syncing, which is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. What she did is she did mock interviews. And I mean, mm. they practice the handshake, they practice volume, they practice greeting, they practice answering questions. And they did this in front of other students. So when I think of just the preparation, that's something that I actually do with adults now, prepping them to interview for principal and mm -hmm. for students to have the benefit of that now in high school, how rich is that to be confident enough to answer questions in front of their classmates? Another component that she added was a debrief where the classmates critiqued how the students answered. That's real world development. That's how you get a job. That's mm -hmm. and it's the curriculum because grammar, vocabulary, sentence construction, syntax, diction, mm -hmm. volume, confidence, yeah. all of those things were embedded. 
And that's where I would love to see schools shift so that we are producing students who can really be a part of what's happening globally and they have an opportunity to go out and be successful and really um, pursue what their dreams are. Well, you know, Dr. Dr. Finnick, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up in upstate New York in Rochester. It's a small city next to next to Buffalo. And when I grew up, you know, uh, I was pretty bad. I, I got held back twice. <laughs> <laughs> I fought a lot. I thought I was just the baddest thing on two feet. Wow. Uh, and so I struggled a little bit. But luckily, you know, I was raised in a Christian Christian home. So the Lord got a hold of me and, and, and turned me around for the good. But, uh, what, but I can tell you, I'll never forget when I graduated out of high school and uh, – one day it hit me, and but I was like, you know what? I didn't learn the doggone thing, and I was very upset. But I was focused, and I went to uh, went to uh, college uh, to Alabama A&M for a while, and then I finished up at another uh, university. But the important thing that I'm learning, you know, with my years in law enforcement and dealing with uh, uh, people of all ages, parents and, and uh, you know students and stuff in high school. Is you 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 mentioned something about the crime rate in the, the food desert, the, the issues with the food problem within homes in general. Within the education system now, we I can just go back to the six-year-old. Yes. It, the security, uh, there's a major problem, and correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you have an understanding of this. I'm sure you probably do. For my, just for my observation, just my view, not even being within the school system, there's a major concern in a, a huge gap in the security aspect of the school system. And not only that, now you're dealing with the problems that these students bring to school that comes from the home environment. And then now you're talking about the communications between the what the student is going through at home and what the parents is going through and the, the, the teachers and the staff are not aware of it and the student don't know how to uh, communicate that and they come to school violence and with all these other issues. So that's another big gap. Yeah. So what, what uh, my vision is and, and part of what my consultant firm is, I would, uh, you know, I, the first question I want to ask, because I've been trying to get a leeway within the school system, anywhere I can to try to help relieve that uh, as far as security and just dealing with helping solve the issues and communications, dealing with the home and the school system. Now, my question is, from my observation, what I've seen and I've discovered, do you believe or is there in your uh, point of view gatekeepers that prevent certain people from wanting to come in to help these students and your so that's a really interesting question as far as gatekeepers that would prevent um the the issues that educators are dealing with right now in 2023 are so pervasive so all-encompassing that it, it is not my mindset that there are gatekeepers that would prevent a an organization, a company, a consulting company that could come in and lend a hand. Um, 
as a retired school administrator who was an administrator for over 20 years, it was the bulk of my experience in public education. There is such a need. People are just um, grasping at straws for help. They want help so much. What ends up being the gatekeeper or the barrier um, is the process. There mm -hmm. is an extensive process for vetting that can be a barrier. And there are companies, I think, that are helping different organizations, consulting companies, people who mean to do what, what you've just proposed that are assisting folks with getting in front of the right person to, to get their ear to come in and provide that assistance. What, what you just described as a principal, I, I'll call principals principals because they are a friend to everyone. Yeah. That is something that no principal would want to miss out on, a liaison that could help with some of those pieces, some of those foundational pieces. And you're right. If a child is coming to school and they're hungry, you can't teach a child that's hungry and sleepy and tired. You just, you can't. And so I'm, I did a lot as a principal, as a school coach on addressing Maslow's hierarchy. They, these babies need to eat first. Yeah. If, if I walk into a classroom and a child has their head down, I whisper because, you know, I, I don't want you to be disrespectful. You can't just sleep and, and mistreat a teacher because that sends a bad message. But if somebody mm -hmm. was fighting all night long and you need to rest, go in the reading area and get you a nap because yeah. you need that. You, you, you're not with me. Hunger. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. bought snacks. Buy some snacks. I work with companies that bought snacks. Now, I, again, I was a kind of a, a I'm a very out of the box thinker because the the issues are so exhaustive that one person, one organization cannot address them. So organizations, consultants with the right heart, with the right heart, right? Mm -hmm. the spiritual basis, right mindset, right agenda mm -hmm. are going to come in and bring value. And I'm going to share another little um, quote. It's not mine, but I stole it. And, <laughs> and it, but it's just, it, it's so fitting. There used to be this notion that it takes a village to raise a child. That's a misnomer. It takes right. way more than a village to raise a child. It takes, it takes the aunties, the uncles, the cousins, the church, the, the uh, political framework, the the officers, it takes way more than a village to raise a child. So the gatekeeping part might be whatever that vetting system is. And so that has to be navigated. And once it's navigated and you can get the ear of that person that's, that, is, that is the decision maker, then some inroads can happen that can actually help students. Oh, very good. Now, the, now what's important, I want people to understand especially if you have children. Now I've dealt with, with some um, youths that, that did some very serious crimes mm -hmm. and I'm talking about rape and all other kinds of stuff. Um, what I want parents to understand 
if you don't hear anything else, is that what you do and what you expose your children to at home, when, even when it comes to rap music and what you say and how you conduct yourself in front of those children, will have an effect on those children. And I, I believe that parents must, without question, and this six-year-old is a, is, a, is a prime example out of many, you have to, you must set boundaries within your home and a disciplined structure for your children. Because if you do not do that, they will end up in the system without question. And I'm gonna tell you, there are police officers who don't have the heart like I've had. They will not have no patience. They will not have no mercy. They will not have no sit down to talk with your children they're going to put those handcuffs on those children and put them in the system. Yeah. Now, in that, and this is another reason, because I'm going to tell you something, doctor, uh, uh, my record, you can look me up, and, and it's, it's document record. What I, the, the sacrifices I made and all that I've seen out there in that world and in the streets in these homes um, uh, tore me up inside, and, and, but I can tell you this. Out of the midst of all the problems that is facing, if we as a community, it goes back to the village, what you were saying, if we ignore these issues that is happening within these homes and don't have a way, which apparently there is no way that this is being solved because it keeps happening within our school system, we're going beyond just, beyond just food. We're talking about kids with drugs, <laughs> uh, uh, weapons and of, of all sorts. If we don't come together as community, now dealing with the police too in the right way. And by the way, I, I have thorough knowledge and all that, that dealing with the police, dealing with the school system, dealing with these students, dealing with these parents, dealing with the communities as a whole. And we don't get a, a some type of uh, grasp on this and work together quickly. It, it, it's going to be far beyond what we've ever thought, even as we've seen already in 2023. If, if, do you agree with that, Dr. Trini? Oh, do I? Uh, this is actually hitting really close to home. I remember being a brand new administrator. I, I was a young administrator when I started off, and I was in an extremely affluent area, very affluent. And I could probably count on one hand the number of students who looked like me, and there were no adults that looked like me. And so I remember just the presence of, of officers coming in and um, ticketing students who would mm -hmm. then get, uh, be absent due to court dates. And mm -hmm. so other issues would come. And so what i began to learn is that these students were in a in a system that was very difficult for to work out of. And so I began to do some deep study on my own because I had not known that that phenomena occurred in school. Now the uh, the issue with this recent tragedy with this with the six year old, this those types of instances, are the reason that we do have this, uh, they're calling it the great resignation that's taking place in education where people are throwing their hands up and leaving. And I've always been very honest about education. 
sometimes educators don't get the the respect that is due to them. You know, there's this that horrible quote, people who can do and people who can't teach. And that's just that's so heartbreaking to me that someone would say that about an educator when schools due to compulsory attendance requirements, schools take all the students. So whatever, whatever is going on in the world, it hits the school. You cannot escape it. Okay. I remember 9-11. Fortunately, my daughter was at my school. I was a teacher and she was right around the hallway. And I remember that day at our school. I remember us bringing in the, the televisions and the students just leaving and the students saying and asking me why they were being picked up early. Why is everyone going home? There was no meeting. Mm. It was us. I was a young teacher. Yeah. It was us and our students. I remember being a student mm. and watching the, the Challenger um, satellite, the, the rocket spaceship, the, yeah. the tragedy. Yes. And those teachers, there was no warning for the teachers. We were in the sixth grade. I was sitting at MC Williams and Acres Homes. Those teachers weren't prepared to talk with us about that. So schools have always been the houses for every ill that takes place in society. Mm -hmm. However, those that are called and have the strength and fortitude and the commitment and loyalty, that's who we need in the schools. Yeah. Someone that can change and, and be a conduit for what's right. And like you mentioned, parents, we do our due diligence to really collaborate with parents the best that we can. And we have to still know that once they get in those walls of the school, they they are our responsibility. Yeah, I remember. I remember coming up. We had a lot of teachers that really they they uh, excuse my French, but they really gave a damn. They would pull you aside and talk to you, and and give you a stern talking, you know, and then say straighten up. Hey, you got a future. You know, what I'm saying yeah. do right. Um. I ain't, I ain't a kid anymore, so I don't know if the teachers are the same. But also the generations now are, are, are a little bit more softer than what we were. You know, um, one thing I want to ask about, you talking about the parents, is um, so the, the generation that's coming and going, do you see a lot of parent uh, participation with the schools? Or has it gone down? It varies. It varies. I um, And I've, I've, I've tell you, I've been very fortunate to work in some of the most affluent environments. And I, I know I keep using that term, but I remember some of the, the the most extreme cases of wealth I saw as an educator, which prompted me to know that I needed a different experience as an educator. So I've been in some of the most underserved environments and most affluent environments, and I've seen neglect in all. I've been in very affluent environments where, and I, I will share an instance, where the, the the two girls lived in a home with a rotunda, with um, a saltwater pool, gated community, all luxury vehicles, and were starving. 
because mm-hmm. they were they were anorexic because they wanted to live up to a certain um, standard as far as what was what was um, supposed to be a standard of beauty. And so I felt like that was neglect, that they were uh, pushed to be so thin and emaciated. And one of them is actually uh, was on television for for modeling. Um, And then I've been in very underserved areas where the children share that they are the caregivers. And then during the pandemic, we saw where is like, where is the adult in the house? Because we were able, we had a bird's eye view into homes mm-hmm. and substances being brought to school because the kids just didn't know. I mean, the kids were innocent and they had things in their backpacks that they sh- they shouldn't have had. So parents come in all different shapes and forms. You've got the helicopter parents who hover and who make excuses for for students, and that's not healthy. And then you mm-hmm. have Parents who are young and still trying to figure it out, who don't know how to parent because they they're still trying to raise themselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you made a point about um, uh, people having the heart and wanting to do the right thing for the for the kids. So now my question to you is: is have you ever experienced? in your career, a teacher, because this is becoming a, a, a very problematic situation too. Teachers or staffs are engaging in sexual misconduct and inappropriate relations with these students. And it's happening over and over again. And, and there's solutions for that too. Uh, that I would love to help. And I hope people are listening, especially some educators. I want y'all, I'll give more information out at the end of the program or, or staffs or, or, or principals or anyone from the education system could get a hold of me. But now, when when a, a teacher or a staff has a, they have to have communications with the students, obviously when it comes to athletics and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm wondering what's the what's the what are the rules or processes in place to try to prevent this because whatever's in process is, is in is, is in is in progress right now or in and it works that's trying to make and resolve this issue is definitely not working. So or has there been any changes to try to alleviate this 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 problem because it's it's a major problem. So school districts do do extensive training to let teachers know what some safeguards are, which is extremely important, officer. So uh, it, it is very pervasive. And I'll share an instance with you where I was a principal and I had a teacher of just a, a upstanding, just a fine gentleman. And there was an accusation from an, another female. And uh, it didn't matter what anyone else thought. It had to be investigated. He had to be removed. This is what another teacher. And so at the end of it, he was cleared and he came to me and he said, I'm ruined. And I said, well, you're the investigation revealed that, you know, there was um, that you're that you're clear. And he said, when when a when a man has an accusation like that, Mm -hmm. it doesn't go away. It stays with you. And I, I will never, ever forget that. And so I took that to practice. 
I advise, and this is a, this is a Michelle, this is not a school district policy thing. I have a door in here in my office. If you are with a student, this door, and it's the two of you, open the door. Mm -hmm. Don't be in an office. Do not be in your classroom. Don't be in a space with just you and another student, any student. If um, the babies need to be hugged, I hug from the side, especially the older ones. I, I'll do a side hug. There are cameras all over the schools. So you can see that mm -hmm. texting. Why? Why yes, are we texting? Like, don't do that. I think when texting initially came out, it was so new. And now that we know, and I've, and I've seen some text message threads. No, what? No, you, you, the assignment was, was online. You could have mm -hmm. seen the assignment online. Mm -hmm. And, um, then there's email that is, that's through a school district email address. So there are some parameters, um, those instances, they break my heart because a child's trust is broken mm -hmm. when those instances happen. A child will never look at a person of that gender, of that maybe career, the same. And I mean a child from the pre-Ks to the 18-year-old beautiful girl that in a couple of months will graduate. And I've had that, well, they're going to graduate. And she, she hasn't graduated yet. She's, she's still in the 12th grade. She's still in your biology class. Mm -hmm. You're still her teacher today, mm -hmm. or you were her teacher last month. So there is extensive trainings and it's not specific to school districts that I've worked with. There are laws that protect the children from those predatory grooming tactics that that can traumatize them for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So those individuals, the, the teachers have had extensive training on what is appropriate, what's not appropriate, even the, the gaze. There's mm -hmm. something about the gaze. There's a where you're you're taught and shown what's appropriate, um, comments, the jokes, satire, satire for certain ages, how that's perceived. So it's something that needs to be discussed because we want to make sure that students feel protected. And there are different things that one can do to minimize being accused of such things. Okay. My question was about the standardized testing. Uh, I feel like that it should be eliminated. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because I feel like it should be, the education should be catered to each individual child because everybody has, learns different and everybody moves at a, at a different pace. And it, it may be um, the way that I was reared because of being from a family of educators. One of the things I appreciate about a standard is that it should be that if you finish kindergarten, that you leave with a certain skill set. Or if you leave, you know, seventh grade, that you leave with a certain skill set. And that whether I'm on the north side, the south side, the east side, the west side, 
whether I'm in this suburb or whether I'm in this little country town, I should know what another seventh grader knows. Standardized testing does give us an indication of what standards a student learn. Also, and again, it may be because of where I am located geographically, it, there is an accountability element for that educator. It should not be that just because I'm on this side of town, I didn't, and we both graduated, we both end up in college, that you know things that I don't know. That's not fair. And that your teachers didn't have to teach you because we don't have a test to show that you did acquire that information, that you were able to grasp it. So now, now again, I want to just clarify. Do I believe in you coming in with worksheets every day and only practicing for the test? No, I don't believe in that. But there should come a time to where you need to know where a verb is. And across the board, all students have been tested that they know what a verb is. Uh, one thing I'm saying about these kids, too, is uh, <clears throat> some of these kids don't even know how to write cursive anymore. You know, um, some things like that are basic uh, multiplication and division. Things that we things that we learn second, third grade, you know, they're, 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 I don't either learning it later or they not picking it up. You know, I've, I've, I've quizzed kids, throw some multiplication problems out there and it's taking them what it used to take us like this. They, I said, come on, man, come on. Um, so, um, wow. I just, I just, I just wanted to put that out there, but I, I think that, uh, man, these kids, they have all the technology, man, but I feel like sometimes they struggling more than we are and we didn't have all this technology. They have access to, uh, to all these things. What's interesting is we we joke. Um, I, I work hard to not only have friends that are in education, but for some reason that's, I guess, my tribe. And that's who I uh, find myself with most of the time. And we laugh about the fact that when we were kids, we knew our telephone number. We knew mm -hmm. our address. We knew um, just, just lots and lots of just information that, the students now they they have to take their phone and that's the only way that they'll know how to call or contact someone mm -hmm. and so we have lost some things unfortunately education does have that as a as a default is that well no standardized tests no test at all we'll just do exploratory type of experiences and then oh we're only doing testing or um, we're only doing the computer. We're not doing anything else. We're not doing any pencil and paper. Then we're only doing pencil and paper. And so that's unfortunate. And that's why leadership is so important. Those leaders, district leaders, school leaders have to be in those classrooms to see what's happening in their, in, with their teachers to make sure the students are learning, to lean in and ask and, and throw out, like you're throwing out multiplication questions and you're, you're throwing out different questions to inquire and assess. That should be an ongoing thing that happens at a campus. It shouldn't be that it's just lost because yeah. there was no inspection. There's a phrase that, and I'll keep throwing these out, but uh, educators know these very well. 
inspect what you expect. Hmm. If in third grade, that's the readiness for multiplication and division and those concepts, well, where is it? Well, I need to hear it. Where's the evidence of that? Is it on the walls, the print? Is it in the conversation? Am I going in those classrooms as a leader only during reading time? Or am I going in during the science block, the math block, social studies to ensure that students leave with an, an understanding of those mathematic principles? Gotcha. That's a nice little saying there that inspect what you expect. Yes. I'm going to bar that. <laughs> it covers a lot. It, it covers, Especially yeah. when you think about yes. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of aspects of life. I want to make sure that you you follow, subscribe to Men Can't Always Be Wrong podcast on our YouTube channel and all the other social media outlets. Uh, be sure y'all do that. Um, if y'all like me discussing, anyone out there that has a, a question, please don't don't hesitate to ask the question for the doctor. Uh, doctor, uh, when you when you mentioned something about uh, the you know students who I'm assuming. Uh, more now than before, I, I didn't really experience any of that in, in my school. Year. Uh, obviously, you know, there are students who are professing to be gay or what have you. And I don't know. Now, are there are there curriculums in the school system that teaches or from what I've heard, I think there is or they're trying to push that. And, before, and when you answer that, my, my next question would be after that. Why are they, uh, you know, and I know uh, if if one is if the school systems are pushing curriculums, uh, trying to teach about the this the gay process and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Why are they rejecting um, someone who wants to teach uh, their own values, which is a natural value that students should also have respect and, and, and uh, admiration to continue to push to be if they're a girl to stay girl or boy stay a boy in your opinion <laughs> so in in my opinion officer it, it really is important for the folks who are employed in a school district to defer to the law and mm -hmm. title nine has uh -huh. many has all of the protective pieces in place regarding how students are to be addressed and what's what's appropriate and so um that's my stance on that piece is that when those issues arise that they defer to that department and there are individuals who are trained to come in and help navigate that piece if a student feels as if their rights are being tread upon on either um perspective of right. that issue and for the adults, for from a professional standpoint, yeah. that they stay in in that uh, in that space. Very good. Okay. okay. And a question I have for you is um, the bull bullying in, in schools. You know, a lot of bullying has caused a lot of incidents to happen in our schools now. Uh, is there any kind of process or steps that the districts are taking to? Uh, <laughs> Eliminate the bullying in school. Yeah, so many uh, most school districts, at least here in Texas, have a bully packet. So once a student makes mm -hmm. um, a claim of bullying, 
then that administrator has the clock starts ticking. So the parent calls and says, um, Joe, I have a, a my child is being bullied. They bring the evidence of that. They confirm that it is indeed bullying. And then they begin this process of how to uh, work through that piece to resolve it. It can sometimes be a restorative circle with some agreements being put in place, which is almost like contractual. There are instances now after retiring to where students do an actual stay away agreement that is put in place where the counselor is involved to keep the students away from each other. Um, and then bullying looks really different in 2023 than it did when I was an administrator in the early 2000s because you have Instagram and TikTok and social media. And so um, there are many, many different uh, factors that are brought in regarding the bullying. And so um, it's considered very serious. It's not taken lightly. It's a, if, if that outcry is made, then it, the administrator is, um, is bound to do an extensive deep dive on what is causing the issue and to work to resolve it for all parties. Also, whereas when I was in school, it might have been leave her alone, don't talk to her, stay away from her, or maybe the one student, leave her alone and quit being mean. Now it's documented, all parties are contacted, and it's it's again, it's a it's a nice thick packet where all of those pieces, there's a, a checklist of pieces that are done. And in some cases, it's stored at, at at the district office to really ensure that it was addressed because of the things that can happen to students when they're being bullied and the toll that it takes uh, emotionally on some students. Now, uh, Doc, I'm gonna bring up I'm gonna bring up a topic because I've seen this coming up uh, recently in some other states: uh, disciplining the children at school. How do you feel about that topic? Or oh, that being reinstated in schools? And when you say discipline, are you referring to corporal punishment? <laughs> the, <Yeah. laughs> the okay. So I would never. <laughs> I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't. Yeah, just it's just <laughs> no. I just wouldn't. I Michelle would not. And um, it was never an option for me when I was a principal or an assistant principal. Mm -hmm. You know, someone else's child. I um, I I would not. I just would not. Gotcha. Yeah, when we was coming up, uh, I went to Cashmere Gardens, man. I, and uh, we had a guy named uh, Mr. Thomas. Mr. Thomas looked like George Jefferson. So everybody knew him. And uh, he put a lot of fear in a lot of kids. You know, if you got in trouble, you was going to see Mr. Thomas. So a lot of kids stayed right because they was afraid of that man. I got paddled for um, running lines it, for basketball. If you were the last person, you got to pop. Mm -hmm. And, it, and a, it was a significant one. I mean, you didn't want that pop. But mm -hmm. I, I personally, when you, you think about, and so, um, and so let me, I, I, I answered very abruptly, but let me just give some additional context. Being an administrator for as long as I was an administrator and still working with administrators, the instances 
of doing investigations for abuse in different skins, different bruising, different marks, different uh, protocols being in place. Even when I look back on when we were, when I was a student and could get paddled, like I got paddled for not doing my homework, the, the protocol was two adults. Just all of the things that you open a teacher up for with that. I, I'm, I'm of the mindset that, that the problems that, that the adults would deal with and the, and again, you know, the, the impact on the students having that relationship change with that adult, I'm just, I'm not a proponent. I can understand. Let me ask you this. Well, as far as um, when you talk about um, the, the uh, he, Joe was talking, mentioning about the bullying. Now, most of the time, a lot of the kids now, uh, when they get bullied, uh, they, a lot of them are committing suicide, and suicide has increased amongst <laughs> the. Mm -hmm. uh, have you ever experienced a, 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 a student has been at, that committed suicide, and if so, uh, was there anything in place that could have, uh, in your opinion, that could have prevented that? Absolutely. That's why um, I hope you felt my passion regarding the bullying piece. And uh, I think now we are so much more aware and holding the schools um, more accountable for what they see. In all honesty, if we're very, if we're very honest, if we're parents, if we're educators, we know that. So if, as an educator, I might have gotten up at six o'clock, um, made it to school by 745. Sometimes I would pick my daughter up at five o'clock. The bulk of the day was spent at school. That was the awake time. So a lot of the your life experience is during those days. And so I, I lost several students I, and I each one. And that was it was my time spent in the more affluent environment now and uh, the demographics are changing for um, those instances, those tragedies. And so the responsibilities that the counselors have, that the teachers have, that the urgency around reports and how quickly things get turned around. I appreciate that because we are losing our young people for so many reasons, for so many reasons. And so if the schools can be a support, a net to preserve a life, I, I, I'm all, all for it. And the bullying, it does take a toll. I, the, the things that, um, I don't know, the term was used earlier, soft. And I hear that a lot. I hear, I hear that a lot for the students of today's generation. It's a whole, it's a completely different world for real. It's just a very different world. And so the experiences of this generation that's in school, they are calibrating circumstances differently. And so it is incumbent upon us to, to be that extra hand. So the, the depression, the cutting, the, the self-harm, the self-medicating, 
all of those things are, you see them in the schools and at very young ages. Mm. Well, uh, well, one thing I can't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't, you probably noticed it, but I'm so passionate about um, people in general, certainly the kids. And uh, I'll say this, if I don't say anything else, um, we as a society, we as people, especially adults, children look up to us in every way, no matter where they go, they look and they learn. And like you said, they spend majority of the time in school and teachers have so much already on their plate to deal with a lot of issues and then not having enough uh, pay to deal with a lot of issues. So there's a lot of teachers who, who have the heart, but then too, you got some teachers who don't have the heart and neither do they care. Um, and when you and and in this kind of environment now in the school system, with so much going on, um, we who do care must make sure that we identify those who don't care, and try to come up with a way to get them to care. If not, uh, something needs to be done about that, and there needs to be something in prop and and that's in place to prevent and get rid of those who don't care uh, within the school system because uh, it's a tragedy what we're facing, what we're seeing with these with these kids. Uh, the last place they should ever be afraid to go to or worry about going to is if they, they, if they don't get the care at home, certainly some kind of way, something needs to be in place in these school systems to make sure they get it when they get to school, period. Because that's their only hope to when they get out of environment where there is so much crimes, drugs, and so many issues within the home that the school doesn't know about. And of course, you have counselors there. But in my opinion, there needs to be a whole restructure because what is working ain't working enough. And, and, and it's and unfortunately, and the teachers who are in place, God bless you all, because um, you have to have anybody that is a teacher who is doing it right. You have to have it in you to even stay in it um, because it's more than just uh, money involved here. Are uh, you talking about the hearts and souls of the next future? And we have to, as a, as a, as a society, get behind these teachers and get behind the staff and, and certainly come together to root out all those who are not doing their job correctly that will help these students, just like in policing. Uh, I'll just end this too, because even the police and we have police officers who are in place who are just there to get the check and then are there to only bring harm and problems in community. Mm. And the people in community are allowing it to happen. And this is why there's so much an imbalance within communities with the crime carried over to the school systems because the school systems and the communities must work together yeah. to mm -hmm. prevent what's happening in the school systems. And I ended at that. No, I love the points that you make because oftentimes I'll have a leader say, well, if I lose them, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because I, I'm already understaffed. I can't lose this teacher. I can't. So I, I got to keep this, this bad apple. 
Well, the bad apple can truly spoil the whole bunch. And you're, and we're talking about children. And Mm so I'm of the same mindset of the children, as far as I'm concerned, because of my, my faith, my, my background, that's something that you just don't compromise. And so as a principal, what I did is I worked with my teachers. My teachers were my, um, the litmus test for what was good and what was right to come into our family. You know, I, I was a brand new principal. I came in, I made some changes. I did turn the apple, the apple cart over and I made a little applesauce. And so <laughs> at the end of that, I had the, the apples that I knew could take us to where we needed to go. And so that meant we're not going to compromise our environment. Yes. If we don't hire well, that's on us because we need to have an extensive vetting process. Yes, it's hard to find teachers. No, you don't get paid what you deserve, what, what um, you should get paid. However, this is the nature of the job. Yes. You have all of the support. You have every everything that um, we can do for each other professionally, personally to make this work. This is the culture, the climate at our campus. Mm. If someone wasn't a fit, we pluck them out and then we filled in. And yeah. we were always always missing and needing another hand. But mm. the culture was such to where we'll take the hit, mm. meaning that lost person, so that we can preserve our environment to keep it safe, to keep us happy, to keep us upbuilt so that we could meet the needs of our students and not be uh, blemished by that negativity or that toxic trait or person. Um, So it's such an important part point and the vetting, the preparation. I've put people through a very difficult interviewing process. I mean, I would act out and have a kind of a not so nice attitude and um, (laughs) really question and push hard. And at the end, I would let them know that I was pushing them. I was, I literally did a stress test. So I would say, I would, I would do different scenarios and I'll say, so what if a mom came in and I would demonstrate what the mom might do? And so they would they would look at me like and I would have my team with me like, is she crazy? Maybe a little bit. (laughs) However, this is going to help you to know if you're a right fit. It's going to help us to know. And so um, those kinds of things help us with some of those, quote unquote, bad apples. It's not an end all, you know, um, solution, but it does help. Outstanding. Well, Doc, we appreciate you for being on the show and uh, spending you. some time with us and addressing this topic, which is very important to us and our communities and across the nation. Uh, man, make sure you come back. You Feel free to come stop through anytime. I would love to. It was such a pleasure. It was so refreshing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I tell you, it was definitely indeed. And uh, hopefully I didn't, I didn't, it didn't feel like I was uh, uh, asking no tough questions too hard. No. <laughs> so, but 
Dr. Much, Dr. Finnick. And if I say anything, uh, I want uh, people to understand the importance of the educational system and the importance of, of our children. Uh, I don't have any kids, but I certainly know the value and the importance of children because I've seen the destruction and the problems and issue that has harmed children. Yes. So, um, uh, and I, I pray for all of the teachers uh, and I definitely pray always for the for the children. Uh, if I say anything else, is I want y'all to understand this too that I'm on a mission. Uh, I did I, while I was in policing uh, for Houston, uh, Houston, Houston, and the history record uh, all of the sacrifices I made for the Houston Police Department, even when it came to our children, and the investigations and solving cases and bringing children out of harm's way has never been done before by any police officer. Uh, my commitment to serve has been above and beyond my paid value. Uh, what I've done and what I've sacrificed for communities didn't come from the paycheck. It came from the heart. And I sacrificed my very life to serve. And I love children and I love protecting and serving God's people. And that's what we don't have a lot of times in this day and time. But I'm on a mission to change that, not only within communities and homes, but in the school systems. And God has given me a blueprint for that with CPIIA. CPIIA is Citizens and Police Immediate Interactive Assistance, where adults, individuals, single moms, family members, can get the help with their children, can get the help in their relationships and their marriage. School systems can get the help with the parents and the, the students, the kids, through a structure, a process, a system that would help the community, that would help families, that would help the school systems to be more effective, to make our communities and society better than where it is going now, because where it is going is a shame, a disgrace, and the government will not solve this issue. It's going to take us in the communities to solve it, and that process that will bring that solution is with CPIIA, and I want you all to text CPIIA 409-444-3524 to get the help and assistance and the more understanding of this mission, of this vision, and the help you need and the solutions you need. That will bring the help needed in your home and in your school system. All right. Doc, any last thoughts or words of wisdom to the people before you leave? I just want to thank uh, all of you for having me on and giving me a chance to share something that I'm so passionate about. And I also would like to encourage anyone that would like to have subsequent conversations to contact me, uh, Instagram and my Facebook at Consult Dr. Michelle. Also, uh, Dr. Michelle underscore PhD on Twitter. And uh, all of my links are there for any services that may be needed. But again, our students are America's greatest treasure. And so it's up to all of us to invest in our children so that they can be the lifeline that we need. Joe, any final words from you? Final words? Uh, <laughs> no. 
Uh, I'm just now a new parent, so this this is very helpful uh, to what to expect. And then, no, my thing is, um, I would like to see more like like apprenticeships in the school district because you know some some kids just don't can't get you no know, like me. I personally wasn't interested in like certain subjects like like English. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a computer guy, so I would like to see more like certificates being presented in the school district. That's and that's about it. All right. Well, uh, make sure y'all definitely subscribe to the channel. We thank you all for listening. Men can't always be wrong. Podcast. We appreciate y'all. Y'all have a peaceful and always take justice first before you ever join or act in the act of injustice. Yes, sir. And be the change you want to see. Shigat T. Swin, this is the Men Can't Always Be Wrong podcast with Dr. Michelle Phoenix, and we are out. Thank you, guys. Have a good night, everyone. Hello, hello, everybody. I am Dr. Tina J. Ramsey, and I want to share with you about CTR Media Network. Have you heard? CTR Media Network is a new standard of podcasting with over 30 plus podcasters. We reach 350 million global listeners worldwide in over 50 plus countries across all major podcasting and social media platforms. We have featured over 1,000 guests. What we specialize in is helping business owners, entrepreneurs, coaches, and fellow podcasters expand their visibility on our platform. We're all about positioning with visibility connections and teaching you how to monetize what you do. Let me tell you something. If you're a business owner, we have sponsorships opportunities. We have commercial slots. We also have opportunities for you to be a featured guest on any of our shows. So what are you waiting for? CTR Media Network is who we are, and this is where you need to be. So go to ctrmedianetwork.com and click our store feature so that you can see which opportunity fits your life and your budget so that we can get started working with you today.